American Sublime, episode 13. Welcoming. Superstitious. Welcoming Kai Skip Edward it. Warmoth. Oh, you went with the middle name, too. Uh, who? Well, we it's have on the to. book. It's yeah, on the book. Makes so this is it. Yeah. Coo. Coo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kai, it's good to have you down in North Carolina. First time. It's kind of over, but I guess it's, it's down. It's over south down. of. It's, yeah, it's south of Indianapolis. So, for anybody listening, all ten of you, this is uh, <laughs> this is our first time bringing on a writer. Have you guys not had a guest? We haven't had a I guest you yet. Had one not yet. A guest. Oh. We, we were going to, but uh, it just didn't it didn't play out yet. Schedule and time so, and all that stuff. Yeah. So we figured we'll start here. It's good because I put out your book. So you're on the sentimental roster, but exactly. So, yes, Manessa. Who is Kai Warmoth? Yeah, who is <laughs> Kai Warmoth? I mean, I thought we were gonna let pleasantries go a little while longer before we got into the biography. How was the drive? Oh, the drive was. It was cool. I, you know, uh, I started it off thinking that my um, tire was going to burst into flames, but I think. I was just, uh, it was a mechanic attempting to fleece me. <clears throat> and as somebody who knows nothing about cars, that uh, could have been very easy. But thankfully my wife was like, you're a moron, just get in the car and drive. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, so I did that and I made it here. Um, but it gets, uh, it's- What is it, seven hours-ish? Seven. Said? Yeah, it's like seven hours, 30 minutes. But when, w- right after I left Knoxville, it was like very mountainous. And Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you came all the way down to Knoxville? Uh, I was close to it, at least. That's I mean, a, that was like the closest a good city. city to me at one point. But uh, I've driven through. It's yeah. a good town. We yeah, should yeah, go yeah, out yeah. there sometime. Mountain sure. roads, very curvy, dark. Yeah. I have bad vision. So the, uh, the last, like, 30 minutes were Tough. kind of tense. And there were just like semis, only semis. It felt lots, like I was the only car. And lots then of just semis. dozens of semis. The on only Buick. Yeah, the only Buick in a field of semis. So I um, yeah. wasn't too stoked on that. But uh, no, it was nice to get here. That's, well, 40 yeah. from Knoxville here is is tough, man. It's uh, I bought my bike in Knoxville. I r- rode it for the first time, 90 miles home through that mountain pass and I was just I had a blast with it because I was like yeah absolutely. yeah you would love that my father would love that I that just sounds nightmarish to me yeah. <laughs> I was like well I guess I'm trying out this bike and uh, it's it's not like any other stretch of highway for a long time no. like most highways just kind of straight a little yeah, bit yeah 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 that's like the really tunnels under it. the mountains mm-hmm. I haven't driven through those since I was probably like a young teenager or something oh, wow. like that so that was it was cool did you say to, it was snowing um, it was snowing when I left Indiana. Okay. Yeah, wow. it, was, it was coming down pretty hard. Um, wow. But by the time I hit, like, probably a couple dozen miles south of Indy, it had stopped. And it didn't like, even look like they had gotten much snow down there, so. The Midwest. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't really get as much snow as I would expect us to in Appalachia. I no. guess I kind of assumed you yeah. guys would get a lot. I, yeah. just I assumed that we'd get a lot, Far too. enough down. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes <clears throat> I was just talking about this, Juliana. If you last year we got a one good snowstorm of about six inches, <laughs> maybe six inches. Six inches. Wow. It's enough to get a winter experience to to gloss. Right. Gloss over the hills with snow. You get the the feeling of winter without right. being deprived of trapped in your home uh, of just like warmth and anything for like six months at a time it, right it sort of looks a little like vermont if you get the snow 
but it's not holding on to yeah. the winter. You don't have Vermont. piles of dirty snow like in and Boston. The drifts and the, yeah, 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 yeah. Endless. And it just never ends. It's like you're in April. You're like, are we going to get a blizzard? Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a very Midwestern thing, too, because, mm-hmm. like, we, I mean, we were in the 60s last week. Right. And it was like you could go outside with a t shirt or just like a, you know, a cardigan or something. Yeah. Are we talking the weather? We are talking the weather. How fucking old are we? <laughs> this is the best weather podcast I've ever been a part of. So, what do you think of Doppler? <laughs> you know, actually, when I lived in Boston, I did weather vines, you know, the 15 second. Vine was great. I loved Vine. It was so much better than TikTok. And I don't know why I, it came to me, but I just started making these little vines about what the, the weather report was. So that's how you became famous. That was how I became famous. <laughs> no, yeah. We really I could have struck if, out. I could have if Twitter hadn't bought it and canceled it. But maybe they'll bring that's it back. Okay. I think Musk did do some kind of uh, tweet about, should we bring, bring back... back. Bring back Vine. It was way I think it would be funny if Al Gore unplugged the internet. Since he invented it. He invented it, yeah. <laughs> if anybody can do it, it's, it's got to be him. I mean, okay, so they also did a, Musk again did a, uh, a poll about bringing Trump back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and going here already? <laughs> I saw it like 10 minutes after he posted, and there was already like 65,000 votes, I think. And obviously, I invited, I voted yes. 11 yeah. million now. <laughs> more. No, that was this Thir- morning. It yeah. was 11 million. That's like, like 13 or 14. Where are we at? Yeah. This is the only election that matters. Where are we at? <laughs> well, they can't do, you know, any drops right. out of nowhere or pause right. the counting. It's just kind of there. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the result is when it's over. Has he expressed whether he wants to come back? He to doesn't. <laughs> he says he doesn't, but he should. He will campaign using it, though. That's the thing. Yeah. He's, I mean, even having like a street team that operates. That's right. It right. while you know the campaign is happening, it <laughs> makes sense for anybody. You know, not just him. everybody. I just country. think it's symbolically hilarious. Well, Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody in this country, the lovers and the haters of Donald Trump, need him. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's like yeah, a yeah. need. It's a need. They know they need him. You know that there's people who hate him who are like the haters. Almost please bring him back. So more I so, just, so I could just justify his eight dollars a month that I'm spending on my blue check. Well, because there <laughs> yeah, was like yeah, a yeah. handful of people where when he was still active on Twitter, you would look under any of his tweets and like Jeff Tiedrich, I think was his name, and that Brooklyn dad guy. Oh, like all of them were so just annoying. like instantaneous, and it's like you have to have. You have notifications turned on yeah. for him. Oh, yeah. which is Jeff Tiedrich loves sad him. as someone. Yeah, awesome. he has to love him. Because he also he's likes like, the kid he has chained in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody does. Remember you said that to me once? You're like, you're like Jeff Tiedrich's just in between tweeting. He's just yelling at the kid he's got chained in the bed. I oh, accuse, yeah, every yeah. time I see Vouch tweeting, I accuse him of that. I've only heard of Vosh or Vosh. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I think it's Vosh. Is it? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, that's how he gets attention. I mean, these guys yeah. get attention by 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 tightrope walking. Right, right, right. The worst issues, right? Pissing so. off the chuds, as they would call it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Everybody does that in politics. That's how you stay relevant now. It's right. Like, oh, did you see his opinion on this? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, man, why? Why are people going there? Right? But they're going there because that's how you keep people engaged. I don't know what my dog's doing right now. <laughs> he's just trying to look. He's got to go see Manasseh, the king. He's um, our, uh, our mascot. Kai, so, well. So we know how you got here. Yeah, we're glad you got here, too. Let's but how go. did you get here? To, to writing or yeah. just life in general? Life in general first, and then we'll talk writing, I think. Um, well, I am the child of two people who met in the Air Force. Uh, they're both 
participants in the invasion of Panama. Or, they, you know, they weren't charging the front lines or anything. It's the Air Force, after all. But, uh, no, they were both in Panama. My mom's from Detroit, and my dad's uh, from where I live currently, Thorntown, Indiana. Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, just grew up a very normal, lower-middle-class life. Nothing too exciting happened. Um, father was a police officer. Mom sells real estate. Uh, very tight-knit family. Look at him coming out with uh, class consciousness right off the top. Oh, yeah, you got to. That I got to give my bona fides. I, I saw this in some of your poetry, but continue, please. <laughs> I'm no normal white man. I'm a poor white man. <laughs> the poor white, the dusty whites of Chappelle. The dusty whites, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A, a dusty white with a library. Right, right. So the dusty whites in Ohio aren't too different from the dusty whites uh, in oh, Indiana. Oh, they are akin. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah, dust, yeah. we're brothers. It's the same state. Eventually, we'll abolish the uh, Indiana-Ohio border. Yeah, and for sure. Then the rest of America. And what will they call that country? Oh, I know. <laughs> I was going to try to mix those words oh, together. Hi, Anna. I was like, no, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound good. That's Ohio. not fun. Um, Indiana. Indiana. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But the, no, I've always, I got you know really into reading at a young age. I think it was uh, was never like a sports guy or anything like that. My uh, my mom told me that once when I was very young, she picked me up from school or from the park or something like that and I was sitting there reading and I looked over and there was a group of kids playing rugby or football or something like that and she said I, I looked at them and then I looked at her and I go why do they do that <laughs> and I just got in the car and I, you know I was like six or seven years yeah. old and I was like oh okay so I was always like a little bitch nerd basically <laughs> you know who just preferred the company of a book but um, no I started writing um, probably around like 11 or 12 years old yeah um, I, I really liked haikus Oh nice. really? That was your. Tr that was. We learned did. about it in some, you know, English class in like fifth grade or something. Yep. And I wrote a couple, and my teacher was like, "Yeah, you seem to understand it. You nailed yeah. it. These yeah. are good." So I really enjoyed it. And I kept doing it, and then like moved to other poetry beyond that. And I think it was uh, discovering Bukowski when I was probably oh, fourteen Buk or fifteen. Oh, wow, that's a weird age to get into Bukowski. But it was. Uh, so my parent, I had a cousin that lived in Portland, Oregon, and still lives there. And uh, my parents got me a plane ticket to go stay with him for my for Christmas when I was 15 to yeah. uh, spend my 16th birthday there. And uh, was in the airport waiting on my plane, and they had a bookstore there, and they had Run with the Hunted. Mm. Oh, wow. And I had heard Bukowski's name mentioned somewhere. I don't remember how exactly. I, I knew to buy it, but I bought it and um, read most of it on the plane. And that was like... Really, kind of. He's fine. He can, he can give me kisses. The dog, not a person. Um, but, uh, yeah, I. Uh, Nicole. Just, yeah. We're watching over. <laughs> it's just a dog, I promise. Really. Um, but no, yeah, so Bukowski was one of the big ones for me. And then uh, I think, like, you know. Uh, so, you, but you started with his poetry and wrong with Absolutely. Yeah. I think I. Uh, it had been quite a while what until was your I first, actually read his. What was fiction. your first fiction you read by him that sort of might. Because you. Bukowski's fiction, by the time I read it, I was already pretty immersed in fiction. So oh, there was none of it. You know, I, I like Post Office a lot. I like women a lot. But neither of those were foundational. Right. I'd already read enough at that time that right. it was just like adding to the pile. You know? Gotcha. Um, honestly, the first uh, literature that I ever really loved, um, well, technically I would say I kind of learned to read off of comic books. Huh. Uh, my dad, big Batman fan, a lot of DC comics. He had a huge collection from when he was um, a kid. 
gave them to me. Obviously, I liked the action figures and stuff. I was a five, four, five, six-year-old kid. So I started looking through these and I wanted to know what was happening in them. So I, you know, had an interest in learning how to read and learning how to read well from a young age so I could understand these things. Right. Um, so I had those, but then there was the, and I asked you if you knew what this was, uh, the Redwall books. <coughs> I love Red. I read all of them. Absolutely. Those were I probably <coughs> fourth or fifth grade. I had a teacher that was like, I think you would like Brian these. Jacques. Met him. You met Shortly him? Shortly before Jacques. he died. Wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah. He did Where? some event at a bookstore um, north of Indianapolis, and I went, and it was a very nice guy, very, just a kindly old man. Like that's, he felt like a, like a grandpa or oh, something. Oh, that's cool. His yeah. pictures made him look like a badger lord. He, yeah, no, he, he, he definitely was much softer than his yeah. pictures portrayed. Like I expected yeah. somebody almost kind of kingly, you know. Yes. But, uh, you know, that, and that's no disrespect to him. He was a very uh, a chill guy. I don't yeah. like him. But uh, I actually bought um, the entire Redwall series for my daughter Antigone. Yes. Oh, very and cool. it's like uh, on the top of her bookshelf, and I'm like waiting. You're until, waiting for the time for well, her. until she can like sit still enough to like hear a story yes. because she has like her board books, like yeah. Sesame Street stuff that I yeah. read to her. But it's like anything beyond that, she's just does not have the attention span. What age is it really? <clears throat> is is the writing geared towards? So what, what age did you get into that? I got into it probably when I was like 9 or 10. Okay. So but I think it's probably right like 10 to... 12. 10 to 12. Okay. Yeah, I think. I would guess. So that's, that's not even... Um, that's like pre-young adult lit then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would so, say so young adult lit's what? For 13 to 15-year-olds sort of? Mm -hmm. You well, can start and reading it if you were, you know, as soon as seven years old, probably. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm and young adult lit, I would say, is for <coughs> thirteen to fifteen year old or thirty five year old childless women, because that's <laughs> also who I did. No, I'm telling you, dude. When that's I worked true. at a library, they like yeah. flocked to that. They section. do. Uh, that, that, that is a big that and fantasy. And yeah, and I think because <laughs> the, the the stories there are. Uh, soft edges like there's nothing that's going to challenge you or that's going right. to you know make you insecure in your deeply held beliefs right um you know there's yeah there's no meat to it gotcha so it's great for those two <laughs> demographics that i listed that's that's, that's <laughs> some shade thrown for sure yeah you, you worked i worked in a library for almost two years and it was uh and you got fired no, I didn't get quit. fired. I quit. Oh, Why? you quit? I yeah. left before you could get fired. No. I, yeah, I left before. You can't I fire me. Fired. I quit. Because I stopped working. What were you going to get fired for? <laughs> I. Uh, they told us that if you were vaccinated, you could oh. stop wearing your mask. And so I just stopped wearing my mask. And I knew eventually, because the HR lady was the only one who had records of who was vaccinated or not. Oh, and wow. she worked on the third floor. I worked on the first floor. And so I knew it was only a matter of time before she came down there, looked at me, and was like, Hmm, I don't remember having a record for right. him and then looked it up and then because those people were so like Oh, so you got in trouble. No, I never did. That's I'm quit I quit before that could even happen. I went like two weeks without wearing the mask at work and then I was just like I don't I don't want to do this anymore. I haven't worn a mask in Man of Principle. Yeah, I, don't yeah, I just can't do it, dude. And I don't even know how I had to do it when I went to that bookstore in Lafayette, Vaughn's. That was yeah. the first place I've been to outside I mean, of a medical facility. I threw them all away. I don't even own them. I don't even own them anymore. I don't. I'm done. Like, you, hey, the president said the pandemic was over. He said it was he over. He got 81 million real votes. So obviously <laughs> he's the authority, and I'm going to trust him. You know, absolutely. I trust the science. I I won't wear the masks, especially around my daughter, because 
I can the psychology tell, of it. I can see that something is very off when right. she looks at, or when she was looking at me when I had a mask on. Yeah, it's and gotta it be confusing. It was unacceptable to me, so yeah, I just stopped wearing them. It's Absolutely. making people emotionally, yeah. socially illiterate. Children. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intentionally. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that this is a, a, a project. Right, right. You well, know, I think it, it kind of removes the humanity from each other you know if you're not if you don't see the face of god and the other people yeah. that you're looking yeah. at then Ooh, you know what wow. problem do you have with throwing them under the bus or whatever might right. be asked of you you know yeah that's a, that's a, that's true there's it's a some, good divide and conquer there's kind of something anxiety inducing about just seeing eyes yeah you know oh, yeah the eyes are the eyes are magnificent and necessary as part of connection, but just alone without the rest of yeah. the face. Well, it was very religious it, clothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, because it is a religion. And that's what I was yeah. going to say when I worked at the library. It was these people Our loved yeah. COVID. Yeah, they love it. Yeah. Loved they got it. to feel real they still do. virtuous. A yeah. lot of them still do. Well, and they got to make rules. Yeah. You know, and they got yeah. to tell people to follow these rules. Yeah, people yeah, yeah. had to follow mm -hmm. the rules. Yes or they could come down on them in some way or another. Right. They could remove them. It's like, it really is given power to sort of the pinky, uh, pinky from pinky in the brain. Yeah. These people who like never had that power but really sought it and then they. Right, 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 right. You know, uh, <laughs> it's the best metaphor I have right now. It's a cartoon from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I don't think that's wrong. You know? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Pinky. I don't. Oh, Pinky in the Brain? Animaniacs? Oh, no, I know Pinky in the Pinky Brain. Pinky was like this little yeah, tyrant, but he was just I a remember. little stupid mouse. Was that Cartoon Network? It was Warner Brothers, so yeah, it would have been Cartoon Network. What were some of the other ones? Because the they lived in the Warner Brothers Tower, the, and I know Brian, Warner Brothers. I just, Stimpy. I never watched anything after like 11 a.m., so I. <laughs> that was, TV was done at that point. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to see you know Looney Tunes. Right, right. That, that was what I liked. Speedy Gonzalez. Absolutely, you know? of course. Speedy of Gonzalez course. and uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> that was our national icon, you know. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Rodriguez. Uh, no, I served that one up uh, for you. Sleepy Rodriguez. No, it's uh, Slowpoke. I don't remember Slowpoke that. Slowpoke Rodriguez, Speedy Gonzalez's cousin. Yeah. Wow. Really? Okay. Yeah, he's like so. Wiley Coyote. Yeah. And, well, that's not the name of the show. Roadrunner is the name of the show. Yeah, yeah. Roadrunner is yeah. great. Or the skit, I don't, yeah, the segment. So, Kai, we got, we got, you know, you you've, you took us a little through that journey with Bukowski, Run with the Hunted, going into, you know, you had you said you were reading and falling in love with a lot of literature before you got to Bukowski's, women, yeah, yeah, and uh, Post Office was your preferred yeah. novel. Um, did you mention some of what those, what was really the first, the literature, the literary stuff? Because I know you were talking uh, about mean, the I Red Wall, but On the Road was pretty early for me. Okay, um, so still in the beat, in the beat generation. The, like beats, the beats, I think, were like the kind of the first for me. Um, yeah, so Kerouac, I, I hated William Burroughs. I still do. I, Naked Lunch is a garbage book. It's right um, over your head too. It's so fun. It's right behind him. <laughs> is it really? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel the just crappy aura coming. You're like, you got a match. I'm gonna light that book on fire. <laughs> um, so it was them, and then when I was fifth. Probably, no, 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 no. I would have been like around 16 turning 17. Yeah. I um, read Crime and Punishment. And I think that was where mm. like my love for Russian literature really started to come in. Which it's funny to think about now because I obviously still love Russian literature, but Crime and Punishment would be not that high up on my oh, list. Oh, really? It's great. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. Because you're a Tolstoy like, fiend. Well, yeah, but I, I think Karamazov is... Like that crushes crime and punishment. Like that's it Dostoevsky's it's masterpiece. It's and I, it's right. one of those books that I 
I wish so much that the sequel he had planned would have made it and we would have had more than these, you know, notes that survived for mm. it. I think... Has anyone published yeah. the notes? Um, probably. It's not something I've looked into, really, but I know that, like, I've looked into what the notes said and I know that a lot of it resol- revolved around Alexei Karamazov uh, eventually, or joining, like, a group of... It would basically be like Christian socialists mm-hmm. and it uh, kind of culminating in him having an assassination attempt on the Tsar. Wow. Right. The Which, Christian you know, socialists, you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you can kind of <laughs> say that's, you know, I, I feel like that's the, the path that Dostoevsky was treading, you know? Well, that's... that's uh, A that's, very conservative socialism. That's where very, he was. You know, I you know. <laughs> almost said a, a very nationalist socialism. No, which but, it yeah. is, but not in the no, no, sense yeah. that those terms are. Right, right, right. Very socialist that. nationalism. If I switch the words yeah, around, right, it's more less spooky. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's it. Um, there's no. We all know that that's not the right. The nas- same thing. Actually, in a way, national national socialism has a way of just those two words being stuck together mm-hmm. is a it ruins and it makes people hesitant to the idea that those two things could be together right um, because you can have a, a national sovereignty and a socialist state right well and because like what we've discussed before world war Two is like the founding myth, myth. of our culture yeah. you yeah, know yeah, yeah. and right. so everything has to get filtered through that and so if you would yeah. say like you know i'm an economic nationalist or something like that they're going to try to turn it back around and be like Oh, you know, you support camps or something. Or I'm a socialist who believes, not even in national, I I know we disagree about this because I I don't really like the word nationalism to be used to describe any of my own thoughts and Well, it's radioactive right now. Well, no, it always has been. It always has been. I don't know about that. Because nationalism isn't isn't patriotic populism. And and people are using that word. Nationalism... There used to be language is like colonial. the family of nations, right. right, right, which is assuming nationalism. The ism part actually may be kind of, uh, I don't like this word, but I'll use it, problematic. Um, I think the idea of isms is, there's something wrong with it. It's, it feels like a cage sometimes. Like yeah. It, or it, 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 you know. it makes it into some kind of deformed chimerical thing right. that just is like self-existing. Right, right. As soon as it's an ism, it's just like it propels well, itself the, like a virus or something. But right. I, there's something different to, you know... A family of... A family nations. of nations. Or just being into the idea of, nations, of the nation. A family of nations feels, just by the title alone, feels similar to like Dugan's multipolarity. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of each country for itself, but also we're all humans at the end of the day. True, but also you have civilizations, which would be a family of nations, you know. Right, 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 right. Okay, you're talking about on, like, the broader scope. Like, America has, like, the black nations, the Latino nations. Sure, sure. You know, okay, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I get that. If you're talking ethnically. Right. Yeah. Right. But I'm saying, like, Western civilization is a family of nations. Okay, yeah, yeah, I got you. say, like... France and England uh, and the United States and that's yes. the idea. Right. Right. So the, pro- the the problem with the traditional definitions or essays on nationalism is obviously that it's not about doing what's best for your country in cooperation with other nations. It's about being willing to topple other nations at any cost mm-hmm. to take what you want. Right. Like right, right. Mussolini was doing 
in Africa. Well, it's in a sense how like a nationalism can morph into imperialism. And that's that's well, that's exactly right. So it's like nationalism is inherently imperialistic. It's should I don't not think it be has to be though. But, well, it shouldn't be confused with being patriotic and b believing in your sovereignty. Oh, okay, I got you. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's why I think the word is kind of a, it's, it's really not a word, uh, it's, if, unless you mean it, and then it's like, well, then I'm not on board with that, you know? Right. But if you mean it, and you're like, yeah, we're nationalists, we want to take whatever we want yeah. from other nations to build our own country and like fuck every other country. Right. I would just call those people imperialists. They're imperialists, and, I, yeah. and obviously that's not what any any of us want. Because right. it's like because if you're a nationalist, you can't only be a nationalist for yourself. You have you, to you understand have to the nationalism in, uh, of others. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you believe in boundaries. Right. Right. But that's the problem, right? So because borders are racist. Except right. for but, the sacred Ukrainian border, but, which has existed but, since the dawn of time, and must be defended. You know, not to not to make not to talk about not to talk about Hitler or anything. Yeah, but he didn't. Not believe, to talk about Hitler, but but he didn't believe in boundaries. No, right, right. and that's uh, he didn't. Obviously, he just right. erased them. And he, he exactly, was, and uh, that, is that nationalism? Or no, are we just trying no to he definitely it's, wasn't. It's I would not, not call him a nationalist. No, no. he was a universalist. He was a globalist. Yeah. He was a globalist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he was absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. I love this thing, dude. I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is, you know, one of the problems with even discussing him or the ideas surrounding him is if you misapply a term, you don't get to actually deal with the problems of Nazi Germany, right. which was a globalist enterprise, right? You know, and that is the perennial enemy. Globalism, well, universalism, not having a definition. You said to introduce you as a Malcolm X scholar. <laughs> he sips the coffee. <laughs> yep, yep. I had I had Kai Warmoth. I didn't have the E. I didn't have Ku here. Yeah. But I had Malcolm X scholar, poet, literateur, mountain man, featured in Expat Press. Mountain man. Tumblr. And yeah. other yeah. corners of the Do I still have a Tumblr? Lovely internet. We should, we should I, I did Google you, and oh. you do. Wow. But okay. it's just links. Maybe it's a uh, fan page. Okay. No, I mean, I definitely remember having one at some point. Yeah. Because um, Tumblr used to be like a decent place to just like, uh, it was like a zoo of insanity. I you loved know? Tumblr. Well, yeah, and there was, I mean, oh, but there was, would. that was I kind would. of like <laughs> the locus for a lot of woke stuff. Well, you know? Tumblr was like Twitter. Yeah. And like maybe TikTok. I think TikTok and Twitter are actually competing with one another with who is driving the culture. It may be generational actually though. Like it may be like millennials who are more on Twitter and it's definitely and yeah. the zoomers who are on TikTok and they kind of talk with one another. But before both of those platforms became the place to be. Tumblr was, Tumblr was where culture was happening. Yeah. At least internet culture. Yeah. And I remember it being very, uh, much more broad than those two in that there were like little pockets for uh, several different niches of yes. like different thought. Yeah. And you know, if, you know, obviously that exists on Twitter too and maybe TikTok. I'm not familiar with TikTok, but maybe on Twitter as well, but they definitely get like, uh, shut down more often. There's also yeah. the, Twitter. the drive to instant verbal assault on Twitter. Right, which if didn't you post something. Feel, you just, you've got people swarming. It you. didn't feel like that on Tumblr. I've as never much. been on Tumblr. I don't. I don't know. It's I'm not. A, I'm not an internet guy, really. Not an internet guy. I'm not on Twitter. I don't. I don't like it. 
Yeah, no, confrontation. I mean, it's, it's hell. I really, I it's like just an entertaining hell. <laughs> yeah, know? it's a hell scare. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, no, it absolutely is. For but sure, it's, it's, it's entertaining, and uh, you it, can you can you find can, out what the worst people and the most uncreative people on the planet are doing to destroy everything beautiful. Yeah, which you know is a good thing to monitor. Sure. I feel like. It's a way to have your finger on the pulse of exactly, yeah. This dying creature, <laughs> yeah. Because like, it, well, people all the we time will say like, failing nation. <laughs> well, people always say like, you know, a majority of Americans aren't on Twitter. You know, it's it's True. a, a extremely small handful that's just being very loud and it's like yeah i absolutely agree with that and i don't but these are the people who again while being the worst people and the most talentless people in history are the ones who are deciding like where the funds of these patronage patronage networks are directed mm -hmm. like right. they're deciding what gets published and you know what gets exposure and things right. like that and none of them know a goddamn thing about art or anything or anything of beauty you know, they most of the time seem actively opposed to it. Um, they have to be. But I still, like, I want to know what those people they, do. They maintain their right. power. That's my enemy, right. and I want to know what they're doing. They maintain their power by suppressing beauty. Yeah, of if course. Beauty, if beauty's course. allowed to bloom and blossom, they're, they, out, of they're out of it. Yeah, yeah they, have to, uh, they have to uphold the things that are antagonistic. Well, it's, it's the same with, like, you know, uh, racism, for example. If racism goes away tomorrow, then DEI, HR department... Like on like, vacation? Yeah, like if it goes to the Bahamas for a while. <laughs> like, all of these people who have made that their, like, you know, crusading against the well, specter of racism, they're out of a job and a purpose. You know, we can tie this It's back. in their interest to keep it around. We can tie this back to Malcolm X, because you brought this up, but you know, racism is an industry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a capital. Yeah. It's a capital-driven industry. Of course it's, it is, and it's had such exponential growth within 100%. the past decade. Right. I mean, what's Robin D'Angelo's net worth? I mean, millions. I mean, she's getting paid like hundreds of thousands to just do these the talk. Like, speaking. Yeah. Yeah. To come in there and lecture people, and yeah. you know, assuage their white guilt or whatever she yeah. has to do, and it's. Hey, she found a hustle, right? I mean, no, it's so and funny. I, you know, I kind of got to respect that at the end of the day. She's just it's like, she, she, you're making far more money than I am. You know, you're far more comfortable than I am. And but, you know, she, I, I, I guess, I just wonder America. if she understands that if racism were to go away tomorrow, like that would be the worst thing they know in the this. world for her. They can't. They, they, they need to keep it but alive. I guess I just wonder if they like consciously it's know it. It's kind of think about it in terms of like. Um, like the the prison thing, the prison question, or or policing, it's like, you know, if we eliminated crime tomorrow, mm. we wouldn't mm -hmm. have a need for for those things. Or inversely, if we eliminated mental health problems, we wouldn't have a need for psychologists, and, right? Or well, not psychologists, but uh, you know, therapy. Yeah. And yeah, all these yeah. people who work in these fields, they need broken things, right? To constantly have to try and fix, right? It, it's like that with every single thing. Not with teaching, right? Teaching is you need everybody needs to be taught. Yeah. Become a pupil. So like you think about teaching versus uh, versus this industry, the the industry, indoctrination industry, the yeah, the industry that oh the grievance industry, the grievance industry. That's yeah. a good way of putting it, right? Te everybody needs to be taught mathematics and things that will allow them to function in society. Right. It's not something that will ever be at risk of being uh, lost or not needed. Whereas the grievance industry requires, like you said, the grievances. Constant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't, we can't get rid of these things because it's people making millions of dollars on them. You know? Um, but, uh, 
to go back to what you said though you introduced him as a malcolm x a scholar <laughs> yeah yeah you're a big you're a big malcolm x guy i had like a you read a lot you've read a lot i had like a period in my probably like 19 20 21 22 years old around that time um where i i'm trying to remember how i even came about it i think it was just one of those things that you know like i knew that his autobiography um was a very seminal american text and so i read it and then surprisingly found myself extremely moved by it and it was almost through that and through my introduction to him that i think i started to warm myself back up to um spirituality theology religion whatever you want to call it Mm. god um because you know i like a lot of teenagers was ran around claiming to be an atheist and because i you know got involved with a lot of like radical left-wing politics at the time and you know i started reading crime think after i went to uh, portland and visited my cousin um so i you know uh, goldman uh portland will do that to you yeah i'm a goldman yeah I'm a oh goldman. no kidding i didn't know you were an emma goldman reader oh absolutely uh, bakunin um goldman people like that socialista <laughs> yeah so i was very much into anarchism and things like that and yeah. you know shouting off the platitudes about how uh, religion is very oppressive and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and uh had very much a materialist view of the world um to which i still hold on to to an extent but with Malcolm X, I remember reading about that and having, being very moved by the fact that it was uh, Islam that was his like mm-hmm. motivating factor mm-hmm. to do a lot of things, and that he saw Islam much more so than you know socialism or liberalism or neoliberalism or any of these uh, newer ideologies as being something that could. Uh, for lack of a better term, solve the race problem in the United States. Because Islam, you know, like with Christianity as well, is it's universalist in the sense that, like, you're all children of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... he Why kinda, Islam over uh, Christianity? I haven't read it yet. I, I purchased it, actually, a couple of months ago when we were talking about you coming over. For, uh, for Malcolm in particular, it's because... I didn't unplug that, did I? Okay. No, you're good. Um, for Malcolm in particular, I think it's just a, a time and a place kind of thing because, I mean, he was a criminal as a young man, ended up in prison, and uh, the Nation of Islam was really starting to grow within the black prison population. Hmm. And so he was approached by them. And uh, people will debate, you know, how much the Nation of Islam can actually be put under the umbrella of Islam at large. Right. Um, and to me, it's always seemed, I've always compared it to... For reasons of race, actually. Well, right. absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Well, and also, they've got some kind of wacky belief systems. Yeah. The Yakub stuff is very out there. But I, to me, I've always uh, compared it to Islam in the same way I would compare Mormonism to Christianity. Mm. And that it is a distinctly American branch of that religion mm. that could only be founded in a place like America because so much of its character is um, is is present in the the uh, well, it's, it's concerned with American questions yes absolutely and it's it's got that same um, push and force to it that I think like oh you know it's the same place manifest destiny came from right right this is a very distinctly American ideal um, so for Malcolm Islam was just the time and the place it was what he came about with the nation of Islam and then eventually he would depart from them completely. Interesting. Um, and embrace Sunni Islam, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh-huh. I, no, I don't know if he ever called himself a Sunni. Like um, theosophy? Yeah. 
it, he he got he went to Mecca, and that's kind of what fully pushed him over. But I always think about that today, somebody like Malcolm X existing today, because after he got back from Mecca, he came forward and he said, hey, look, I was wrong about the Nation of Islam stuff. Mm. I was wrong to say that... Humility. I was wrong to say that white people were devils. You know, I think we're all the same children of Allah. You know, we need to come together. We need to work together to make the world a better place. And I think about, you know, if you transport him to nowadays and were to have him come out and say that, you would just have idiots being like, Oh well, what happened two months ago when you said that all white people were devils? And right, go, right, right. I just explained that and apologized for that and said that this is my viewpoint now. Right. Well, what about when you said that? Right. You know, because we have a culture that is very much it assumes against that the idea of forgiveness. Change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's very much against the idea of forgiveness. Exactly. Or of recognizing mistakes, anything like that. Right. And so, um, but. Malcolm's use of Islam in that way, or the way he saw it as being a um, potential source of liberation, yeah. was fascinating to me. Somebody who had a very materialist view of the world, and also like I've always been, uh, you know, I enjoy countercultures, and I am a very um, contradictory. Isn't the white right reactionary? word? Reactionary. Yeah, I mean, I am to, reactionary. To a degree. To a, yeah, to a degree. <laughs> to a degree. Um, yeah. But you know, contrarian. I, contrarian. That's the word I was trying to think of. I was yeah. like, I know it starts with the son of a. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I I grew up in the Bush era. You know, my first moments of uh, for political lack of a better exposure. term, political awakening was yeah. watching bombs fall on Baghdad when I was thirteen or twelve, and being like, this isn't right. Something just doesn't right. strike me as right about this. But I don't have the language to express why. Right. And so I think you know Islam after reading about Islam through Malcolm X, it also had that countercultural appeal because it was like, at the time, that was America's enemy, you know? Right. Um, but to clarify, you're not, you, you don't identify as... No, no, Muslim. I mean, I, it, in the most simplest terms, I call yeah. myself a Christian. I think if, you know, I, somebody wanted me to be really specific, I would call myself uh, an Abrahamic monotheist, you know? Yeah. I believe in the Abrahamic religions. Um, but I'm also a, a, a perennialist in a lot of ways because I was raised in a household where my father was very much, he's, he's a Christian, but he's also, he raised me in a perennial way where he would say, you know, like, look, if you die and a very um, pious uh, Hindu man dies, yeah. you're both going to the same place. You just might see Jesus and he might see, you know, That's Ganesha or anything like that. Like right. we, and so I, because of that, I've developed this just my own personal understanding of religion as a language with which you use to talk about the things that are beyond reality right the metaphysical like an observation language beyond the material right and it's like if you are a kid that's born in baghdad what language do you speak arabic Mm -hmm. what's like the foundation to modern arabic is the quran Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. same thing i was born in america i speak english what's the foundation of modern english King James Bible. Right. You know, so it's, it, my thoughts are going to be in the metaphors and language of Christianity. Yeah. Whether I like it or not, that's just how it is because of how I was raised, yeah. the language I speak. So eventually, instead of fighting it, I just kind of realized, like, no, I am a Christian. That is mm. how I conceive of the metaphysical. And, you know, just let's go from there. And, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm fascinated by any religion, any belief system. You know, uh, from the Nation of Islam to Mormonism. 
I have seen you talking about uh, in in our chat mm -hmm. that we're all in mm -hmm. the, our beloved GC, which we won't <laughs> tell anybody what it's called. Mm -mm. Um, talking about uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, mm -hmm. so which it seems to me is kind of tied to your Russophilia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you get from Abrahamic, Abrahamic monotheism in general to orthodoxy, orthodoxy in particular? Um, I think a lot of it came from my previous interest in Russia, but then also like I started to look at the history of Christianity, the early church, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And you had, you know, for a, a long period of time, there was no Catholic church and Orthodox church. There was just the one Orthodox Catholic church. Right. And then eventually those things would split apart. And to me, it wasn't so much of an appeal specifically to Orthodoxy. It was more a distaste for the Catholic strain that broke off because a lot of it seemed to me like... Roman paganism simply seeing the change of times and being right. like, eh, if we want to keep power, we're probably instead of, you know, yeah, saying yeah. this, we need to say Jesus instead. Right, and right. then just kind of like putting on a different skin suit and right, saying like, right. yep, we're still in power, but right. now we're Christians. Right. With like orthodoxy, it, it, it seems more unchanged right. from what it originally was. Right. Like they still seem to be keeping the faith in, uh, in its original form as, as best as one can. Yeah. And also, you know, the Orthodox Church is far less uh, liberal than the Catholic Church. Right. And it's been far less willing to be like, you know, oh, we'll change so everybody feels comfortable. Right. Like they definitely have more of a approach more of conviction. like, no, this is the place where yeah. you come to worship God. If you're not comfortable here, sorry. But like, yeah, it's, it's not really in like, their DNA to conform you, Right, it's to been like this fashions. for 2,000 years. Do you not think there's any connection between your your love of Russian literature and the cultural, the people you've mentioned before, you know, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. No, absolutely. I, I And you're linking it to your Abrahamic. Well, I think with like what I said earlier about religion being a language. Yeah. From reading so much of, you know, and not just Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, but like a lot of the Russian poets or even modern Russian writers like Pelevin, I think that that starts to... Uh, infect or influence the language in my brain with how I think. Yeah. All of those guys were orthodox. So it's going to start to make sense exactly. that I would find the, the, <clears throat> the theological arguments of orthodoxy to be more appealing. Well, it's just what you're, what you're, you're ingesting. Yeah, it's what I'm immersing it's, myself in. It's so the it's, food you're eating literarily. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I read Tolstoy, I read something like War and Peace, and I'm just like, how, how did a human being do this? Oh, like, yes, right. it's incredible. Magnificent. And so you start to wonder naturally, like, well, what did he believe? What did Which, he think? What was, what was his mind like? And right, orthodoxy right. was a huge part of that right. because he was Russian. He was growing up in Russia. The Orthodox Church has a huge influence yep. in Russia. It still does to this day. So that's the that's the thing. It's it's the rain seeding the soil. Yes. Are you you're reading War and Peace right now? Mm -hmm. I've got about actually it's right here. Are, next you to are me. as well, right? I'm just starting it. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm only about twenty pages in. I Page tried. Page eight hundred and thirteen. Okay. So um, Napoleon just got to Moscow, and you have a kid. And so no <laughs> one has excuses. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I told Kyle if he would have started last week, yeah. sat on the toilet, yeah. had Julie had Juliana do his job for him, and then you just eat protein bars and sit on the toilet and oh, read. Man. Like, 
That's a that's a great. You could be done. The whole pipeline. Eat the protein bar. That's coming out quick. Bring move the coffee maker in the bathroom. Like it, you would have been safe. You could have been at least close. Well, uh, so you're you're going to finish. A few years ago, I probably would have tried that. (laughs) So you'll have finished the two great. I would say two of the greatest Russian novels. Karamazov and War and Peace. Yeah, you'll have them under your belt. Absolutely. I mean, I would list them as my two. So I was going to say my two favorite novels, and they probably are, but uh, you know I love... Nabokov. Well, Nabokov, yeah, Ada by Nabokov, but also um, Possibility of an Island by Welbeck. And so I usually, when people ask, like, what's my... What do you think is the greatest novel? I try to divide it into like, what do I subjectively yeah. think and what do I objectively think? Bolaño is also as, two six six as big, right? Yeah, that one book. That two six six. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I have read other works by Bolaño that I like, but have, that's the one that I was just like. So you said the subjective versus objective. Have there been books that you've read that you hated but you respect deeply? Absolutely, especially um, even in this Russian strain that you. I'm trying to think specifically. Of I think Moby Dick was that book. For me. Moby Dick is absolutely that book it's for me. Brutal. That's a perfect example. Yeah, because a lot of the times when I was reading, I was just like, "Come on." Yeah, yeah. I don't but care about. I'm Lamp glad I read it. I'm glad. I think everybody should read right. it. It's an important work. Yeah. Um, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it in the same way that I'm enjoying War You weren't War along Beast. for the ride, you were along for the language. I feel like Ulysses will probably be like that for me oh, um, whenever I finally do that. I don't even know if I respect And I it. went into that <laughs> thinking I went into War and Peace thinking it was going to be that. Yeah. I thought it was going to be it was going to be a slog but I'd get through it and be like, I'm so glad I read that. I love it. I've barely, I'm very connected to the characters um, you Pierre like, You like being in the world. Yes, yeah, 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 and it's going to be one of those books that I'm really sad to finish. Uh, you know, Karamazov was the same way. Where really, you get to the last page and you're like, I, I, I can't hang out with these guys anymore. Like, I really yeah, like being yeah, around yeah. them. Yeah. You, you know, know what? I, I think you would love to read after War and Peace is that book Napoleon that I read. Uh, is it a Will Durant or no? It's just it's called Napoleon. I can't remember who it's by. It's but it's like not it's a, a biography though. Yeah, it okay, is, and it okay. just takes you through his whole every everything. He was incredible. And it's such a good companion piece, I think, to War and Peace. Okay. Because it's it's it shows you there's a there's a line that that uh, the refrain throughout the book is what is Paris thinking? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I couldn't help but every time he goes back to what is Paris thinking, it was getting into Napoleon's head on his campaigns when things were going poorly. Right. And you'll see this in War and Peace in, oh, yeah. in Russia is as the earth is getting scorched behind him and he's, mm-hmm. he's everything, everybody's dying and starving and dying of disease and the horses are dropping dead and they can't even eat them. They, they love to this eat book, too. This book gets into, I don't know, is War and Peace get into Napoleon as a character? Or is he sort yeah, of he's, a, he's a character in there. They don't spend too much time with him. but they're, Yeah, there are definitely moments where, uh, like there's chapters, they, I guess, where they're in his head Okay, well, watching this book, the campaign unfold the, and starting to realize like, This shit. book shows you the the romantic man. Okay, like, okay. In his head, it's not Napoleon's evil, here's why he's Satan. It's, it's here's a why man he thought he was right. Just deeply torn. He actually, you know, he, he especially in the Russian campaign, he, he does feel a degree of remorse and just like getting all his men killed. Yeah. Because um, he was very proletarian. I don't think people realize he wasn't a, he wasn't a, a monarchist figure. He was no. very uh, he was very much a, a, a globalist. Op- no, he was the opportunist. <laughs> he he would be pre a pre socialist really. Yeah. Because he was um, 
he, he was a liberal. Took the he was ideas. A, he was a proto liberal. He was from the French Revolution, liberty and equality, and and uh, but he he was uh, also an, a, a deeply imperialistic man. Yeah, I mean, with well, imperialism, yeah, yeah, yeah. imperialism, and liberalism. I think are, for sure. For I sure. mean, they're twins. Look at it today; it's the same thing. You know, exactly. It's, just, it's not on. Yeah, it's a not, different flag. It they're doesn't, planting, al- it doesn't allow for difference. No, not at all. While praising it at the same time, which exactly. is interesting. Right, you know? right, 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 right. It's like the, the, the schizo mentality that they right. approach it with in the sense of, you know, it's the same as with like they're the underdogs, but also they yeah. can crush you in a right. heartbeat. You know? Right. There's a, an interesting line to go back to the religious um, theme from your, your multi-part poem, Proto Trinitas. Yes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're going it's, here. It's uh, well, I'll give you, I'll give you the whole. Wow, title. that's a beautiful. Is this your? You have a WordPress? Yeah, yeah. Never updated. Proto Trinitas or the Last Temptation of Dismas and Gestus. Gestus or Justus? I've always said Justus. But Justus. I've, like never, I've never met the guy. So Thieves sure. crucified alongside the Christ. Um, I just want to go to this second part here of what is it? Six parts. Six or seven. No, this this book is is in print or was in print. So this is from your 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 book. Yeah, this is what opens. Um, uh, if you tolerate this, then your children will be next. I had to look at the title. Yeah, so like, well, we printed this. <laughs> it was a Manic Street Preacher. Twenty twenty one. Sentimental yes, Press. Published by Kyle. Kyle, uh, and this is just one of my pet uh, subjects that I paid attention to for a long time. But you say. Quote, Amen, I say to you today. So the scene is Jesus is on the cross, flanked by two men. One, they're both thieves, actually. Mm -hmm. One of them calls out to him and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right, right, right. right. And Jesus says to him, Amen, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Um, And then... You say, he mutters before the altar of wines, for the sentence received corresponds to the crimes. So it stuck out to me, the comma that you put in here. I I wanted to know if you did it on purpose, because it says, amen, I say to you, today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Now, the significance of that is for people who think that when you die, you immediately go to heaven. Right which they mistakenly think is paradise, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that is Usually good. in the Bible, they will, they put the comma after the word you. Right. They say, amen, amen, amen I say to you, comma, today, today you, you will be, be with paradise. You like you're dying today and I'll it's see the modifier. you in a little bit. It, it, it's but Jesus wasn't going into his, coming into his kingdom. Right. That day, he was going to go be dead for a few yeah, days, yeah, right? for the three days, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, it's interesting because you put the comma after today, which I, I know is in a couple other places uh, earlier on in the Bible. But I just wanted to know if you had done that deliberately because it was very interesting to me. I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't recall at that moment. This, this entire thing was written um, in one go. Yeah, um, which I sometimes do with poetry, but I definitely with something this long and this yeah. the fact that each. Uh, section is written in a different, like, archaic form of poetry. I wanted to, you know, really take my time on it, but it was just one of those things. I sat down, banged it out, and there was some editing later on. Yeah. But I think with that, I, I definitely was trying to. Um, what was the archaic form in uh, part two? Would I'm you trying say? to remember. 
Uh, I know you have a haiku down here, don't you? It actually kind probably of? says in the... Yeah, there's a haiku in the chapter four. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's... I, I know I used to say Sestina and... Oh, yeah. Pentina, sorry. Yeah. Or no, Pentina was the third chapter. I honestly don't remember. I, I love that. I love the idea of doing poetry with multiple forms in a single poem. Like, I really don't like it these days when people think that everything should be free verse. Like, it, and free verse as in no rules. Like, right. it's, it really is one of the most annoying things to be subject to. I, I find it to be incredibly offensive that I should have to witness you not caring about structure. Right, well, because a lot of them, they just like write a paragraph they think is cool and then throw, and they some, throw some line breaks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. And I've had, uh, when I was still submitting poetry a lot, I would have a lot of places tell me we don't accept rhyming poetry. Yeah. Because they felt it was... Oppressive. I'm, probably <laughs> some stupid shit like that. Yeah. It, um, the sonnet is a mansplain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but... <laughs> I always I find rules like that, like a uh, a set structure for a poem, yep. makes me so much more creative. For sure, because it forces me. Like I'm not just going willy nilly. I don't. Well, I'm it not puts a, pressure on you. Exactly, and I'm not a blank canvas that, kind of guy. Like yeah. I, blank canvas is just like overwhelming to me. Like, things, oh, but if you say like, no, you need to stay within these bounds, yeah. then I start to see a picture in my I head. I love that I you got a dialogue okay. in here. Too. These things like, like yeah, that was my favorite part to write. Yeah. These things like music or chords we don't just come up with chords and things out of key that don't work and say it's just as good right you know, we have we have laws well, that like, govern that govern these these right. uh, like our, pound these says things. in the abcs of music like you know your music should be like poetry or your poetry it, should be like music i rather. completely agree 100 percent. yeah and you know obviously you know i read and abcs, of reading. ABCs, ABCs of, of reading yeah 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 uh i i you know i I think about that not in terms of rules, because if you have rule, rules are made to be bended and broken, I think there's a place for free verse. I for sure, and that's the sure. thing, is I think when it's not oversaturated, yeah. it can really have the effect that I think free verse should have. You also need to be able to demonstrate that you can work with the classical traditions. Absolutely, that, and so many poets I know, poets, um, yeah. they just are com either completely ignorant of it, or again, they think it's like, oppressive to write in these structures that mm. much more talented people than them came up with <laughs> you know it's like I'd <laughs> in your poem head honcho the yeah. first line or two in one of them has a mention of spring snow the Michigan novel yes yeah the, which i haven't favorite. read i've read a couple mm -hmm. of his novels um and that one spring snow is sitting on my i'm gonna bedside table and i've been meaning to read it i mean i consider him an american novelist even though he's Japanese. Right, right. That's, well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's in the small stack of like novels that have um, made me cry upon reading wow. it. There's a, in, I, I don't even know if I could lay out exactly the scene that it was because it's, it's been a couple years since I've read it. But, Are you uh, like Jordan Peterson? Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just destroyed my brain with Xanax and now Two I, pages I cry <laughs> whenever I read a sentence. I no. really enjoyed reading that one, Head on Show. It was, it was very good. I wish I had it. That one here. got nominated read, for a Pushcart Prize. It did not win. Head Honcho. Do you have it there? It's in it's there, buddy. It's short. It is very short. There's, there's another one, Please We yes. Need It. 
Which oh, I thought we could actually read because it's short well, enough and it's got enough too. fireworks. I don't know. Head honcho's nice and short as well. Let's read but, both of them. So head honcho. Kai, why don't you read it? You want me to read yeah, it? Yeah, you're the po you're, right. it's your, your work. Uh, <clears throat> head honcho. Wouldn't make sense for me to read it. No, I love <laughs> it. I love it. Let me set up better. Try as I do to attend to spring snow, it doesn't arrest like her eyes. Carved with rouge and streaked with coal. And elbows crooked to top the melanoid throw, push your face to the skyward glow. So content with my meager tithes, unnecessary even to demand a because. It can go fast, yes, it can even go slow. It may even appear as if glimpsed from above. But oh, how these befogged eyes dilate, distend, take in no end of yostre. Your limbs, your sprigs, branch and bow, which coition will give us our tableau. Arrayed in the yard where nobody cries, we'll take a photograph each time they grow. That's great. I love the the, the rhyme scheme. In there. Yeah. What was the other one that you wanted to please? Please, we need it. I could like just look at your screen, but it feels cool. There is a, the book. table of contents. You could probably find it. I don't use table. No, we want it from the paper. It's right here. Wow, you the found paper it. has more magic. Look at that. <laughs> There's an aura. As Kyle tried to force his table of contents on me. That's not part <laughs> of the poem. <laughs> All right, please, we need it. <clears throat> And this, I remember actually before I start reading it, yeah. this was one of my attempts, and I, this is something I don't do very often, but I, because I've always liked uh, dystopian works, you know, especially when I was a teenager, you know, Brave New World, 1984, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to write a poem that was... A black pill. A black pill, but also like a dystopian view of what I thought life in the Midwest, where I live currently, would be like if we continued on our current path, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. of... Um, cultural degradation, economic degradation, whatever. All right. Please, we need it. <clears throat> Sundays they gave to autumn in exchange for venison and bullets and white pills like constellations. Aunt Sharon stayed up for days and fell into death in a pastoral course such that no ambulance siren dare smother the clattery of affid adult chatter of 17th September in the country. God witnessed the men who wander drunk highways, their spice racks teeming with 762 and 223, and how skittish is Hypnos that a stray nine settled on the corn rows of the car seat broadcloth startles him back into creation. If you stay having the radio on, sometimes you hear the tiniest fragments of song or womb-like chatter separated by the static of winter's crone. Tuesdays they forgave the spring. The unfortunate nature of insulin is that it's a finite product, and one day Matthew Crefford is welcoming the bullet to the bridge of his nose with the same half-open half eyes he promised a can of Hormel chili to a 13-year-old in Grand Rapids. We got the medicine. There really isn't anything to talk about. Who left the lid loose on the peach preserves? God, in winter, in utero, and shortly thereafter, in summer is when he stalks. Hell yeah. I have one name before I forget. It sounds as if when you when you go into the quotes, you go into a character. Now I know that that's what is that character? If you stay having the radio on, what what is this? Uh, yeah, some lilt just came out. Yeah, of no, that was yeah. that was definitely intentional. Yeah, 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 it yeah. was, um, I think, just the gen the general idea of the the Midwestern man. Okay, yes. that's what I heard. That yeah, I yeah, encounter yeah, that's in my daily life, my people, in a sense, you yeah, know, like the people I come from, right. Um, that was very much who I was. That's exactly where I went. I'm like, oh, there is. I, I saw um, uh, a man in a, like a Carhartt jacket and a trucker hat driving a truck. Talk, yeah, saying yeah, that. yeah. The guy who like helps me pull my car out of the snow or That's something right. like that. You know, that's right. 
So it was a, so much of this book is sort of a really a love letter to where you're from in oh, a lot of, of ways. Well, and, you not know, a love letter, but a, but a homage, maybe. How, how would you describe it? It's, it's definitely not. It's definitely distinctly Midwest. Yes, absolutely. Know? Which is funny because the picture on the front is actually uh, from West Virginia. Now that I'm remembering, but um, it's. I, I think when you're a teenager, and maybe this is pretty universal to anybody that's a teenager, you hate where you live, hate where you come from. You know, you're like, fuck this place. I'm, I'm better than this. I need to live in some uh, cultural epicenter or something. Right. Brooklyn. Right, right. Brooklyn. <laughs> something like that, LA, whatever. Um, and I, I definitely felt like that, but I have come to. Did you ever do that? Um, I, I lived in Indianapolis, <coughs> yeah. you know, which yeah, yeah, yeah. was the big city, and it was away from my rural upbringing. Yeah. But uh, I eventually came back to that rural upbringing because yeah. I, I was sick of stepping over heroin addicts every day, Ugh. or of you know getting my car broken into or yeah. anything like that. So I came back to where I was from, and I realized that I I I loved it, and especially as somebody who was going to be a father, it was like, yeah, I would much rather raise my child here than in the city or really anywhere else because there is my family's here and I, I like can't overstate how important that is that I think that my child needs to grow up in that kind of environment yeah. you know that's Mark. also a deeply Midwest thing I've, I for sure the closeness of families is super important for sure and I think with the way things are going the uh the idea of like the multifamily household mm -hmm. is going to come back and it should come very back. Very Italian like, I, for sure. <laughs> well, it is very Italian. Yeah. So you know all about it. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I like Nicole and I both, my wife, Nicole and I, you know, we loathe the idea of putting our parents in a nursing home or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. like no, screw no that. You can't take care of yourself. You're moving in with us. Exactly. You wiped my ass for years. I can do it for you now. That's yep. just how it's supposed to I work. I think your, yeah. da your dad can still kick your ass, though. Absolutely. He will be able to until he's, <laughs> yeah. you know, 90 years Even old. Even when you're wiping his ass. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So just use his cane, you hit don't me get in the balls right. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm never winning that spot. fight. I'm never winning that fight. Um, but no, I, I love being in a place where, you know, uh, my daughter's grandfather is right across the field. Yeah. You know, he can walk over and see her every day, and he does. You know, and it, that Indiana, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I, I've been to Indiana so many times. I played so many shows there. Right. I, I, it's been part of my 20s. Just, mm -hmm. I would, we would drive out to Indiana or Ohio on a Friday night, mm -hmm. you know, leave on Friday morning, get there in time for the show, and drive home Saturday. Yeah. Sometimes we would just do one-offs in Indiana, in mm -hmm. Ohio, a very common in Ohio, which is crazy, right? But like we were always pulled to, I think Indiana because we always felt like it was a place worth going to because the people were so good. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. the people were so kind. They took care of us. They gave us 150 bucks. It was at least enough to like get us pretty far along the drive so that we weren't just blowing a ton of money. Well, that's why. And but, I thought the Midwest was so good for. Um, Music specifically, the kind of music we scene that you and I yeah. were involved in, with you know hardcore punk things like that, because because I remember my hometown, we would book shows there when I was mm. a teenager, and there'd be 150 kids there. 
you know, and That's every type of kid you'd see there. You'd see the kids that played sports, you know, right. the kids that didn't listen to that kind of music at all because there's Something nothing to do. do, right? you know, and it's like, oh shit, you know, a couple guys from my biology class are having their punk bands playing, let's go. Right. And right. so everybody was there and it, it fostered a sense of community that I have not found that, that anywhere was, else. That was, yeah. that was something Jeff Eaton always talked about from what Modern Life is War. Mm-hmm. Which to me, we talked about this the other day. Is the Witness is the most American maybe record, and oh, also the yeah. most definitively the working class Midwest hardcore punk record of all time. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's lyrically, absolutely. I mean, I, you're laughing, but but it's it's. <laughs> I'm no, just I, thinking of that noun. It's series. so funny. <laughs> right, right. I'm from I'm from, a, <laughs> I'm, from a co- I'm from the coast, right? The, right. I'm from where hardcore punk is supposed to be from. Right. But. That record made me and my friends want to drive to Marshalltown, Iowa, right. for no reason, right. and get in a fight in a parking lot. When or something. we were, yeah, like, when yeah, we were seventeen, Midwest shit. yeah, we identify with that because we were from rural towns in Massachusetts, you know, um, where there were old factories. We would drive by and in old brick buildings, graffiti, Opiate decimation, and, yeah, yeah, just you know, sleepy towns. The only the only nights on it, uh, lights on at night were gas station lights, right, yeah. right, 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 and uh, neon lights in the windows, and people would just go to the liquor store at, at the after they got home from work. We identified with it, but we also had access to the city culture. If we wanted to, yeah, it was much. It would, it would have been much easier for us to drive to Boston than to Marshalltown, Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> but oh, we God, wanted yeah. to go to Marshalltown, Iowa because we felt like that's where that's where we know our people mm-hmm. are from. That's and and um, that's where our our the Americans are. Right, right. You know, that's the You're Americans. Trying to say it's the white Bob man's Dylan. mecca. Right. What did Bob Dylan say in the song? You said it. I what come from I a say? country they call the Midwest. Yeah. That's, Is that really a Dylan line? That's yeah. great. That's great. And I've that's, never heard that. Right, but it's it's You gotta hear that song. It's you a said, great, great song. You with said God on our side. Oh my god. With God on our but side. But you said okay. that, that was an to interpret that interpret that as the country, the heart of the country is in the Midwest. Yes. You know, and, I do believe that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the you know, I kind of I'm put off a little bit about the present state of many of the cities in this country. I feel Mm -hmm. that their glory is in shrouds and it's dim. I don't think that's a forever thing. I think that the whole country is actually headed for immense glory. Yeah, some kind of renaissance at the absolute least. I think there's going to be a golden, a real golden age, and it's upon us. And I think this is just the, this is the crucible, the birth canal that we're going through right now and we're going to see the light. When I think in you, if I'm you, very optimistic. If you actually. want to figure out where the genesis of that is, I think you have to look at the part of the country that is ignored in the sense yes. of the Midwest. You know, yeah, well, like, well, which is in the dark because the light is going to come from the dark, I think. Right, and when you talk to people about the you know the cultural epicenters of the United States, they're yeah. going to say New York, LA, places right. like that. San Francisco places and Chicago. That, places, yeah, well, yeah Chicago's a yeah. weird one, but they, yeah, like these epicenters of like neoliberalism yeah. and it's like that's not where well people are leaving those the, places in droves though right right, because um, they're misery factories You're right. that's all they've turned into at this point yeah. and like you said their glory is shrouded mm-hmm. and it's it, it's almost lost on a lot of these people and so of course they're naturally going to want to escape the issue is they escape but they take the mentality that got them there in the first place with them and they try to implant it into other places where it's not welcome you know. I, I, I want to throw you a bit of a curveball here. <laughs> so, you have been canceled 
from a number <laughs> oh, of God. Reddit charcuterie <laughs> boards. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> so, oh, okay, man. first off, I like, I don't know why I like charcuterie. It was something that actually during um, quarantine, during the pandemic, I was working at the library. I just started there and uh, they came in one day. I think I'd been there about less than two months and they announced, hey, um, we're closing down because of this pandemic, but everybody's still gonna get paid. So for three months, I was quote unquote unemployed, but still receiving a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. Like I loved quarantine. It yeah, was great yeah. because, you know, we didn't really change much about our lives. We still had people over. We still went out. You know, I luckily I lived in an area where that like um, that re that COVID regime didn't really have an effect. But one of the things I for some reason got into uh, was going to Aldi's and buying a bunch of the little meats and cheeses and arranging them on a piece of wood. Yeah. Don't know why I liked it so much. <laughs> but so I would do this and I would usually drink wine while I was doing it and I like to drink so I would drink an entire bottle of wine and then I would go to the charcuterie subreddit and there would be somebody that would be like, hey, first attempt at a board, here's a picture of it. And I would do a little shit talking and be like, wow, do you think this is a joke that you can just come in here as a civilian and just piss all over our art form with this trash? And I forget that the, the text is very flat and that the people reading this didn't realize that I was just trolling. Or maybe yeah. they did and they were like, you can't do that here. But uh, yeah, I've, had, I've gone through like four or five Reddit accounts at this point where they're specifically banned from the charcuterie. This is the Kerouac of our time. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, and I think to myself like, wow, I could I have been tenderness. <laughs> I, I could have been using that time to work on a novel or something like that. But instead, I'm just roasting people on a charcuterie. It's a novel. Of, of, it's, it it's an art form itself. And someday, after I die, maybe somebody will collect all of my like sick charcuterie burns into one anthology and release it. You know, incredible. You should collect them. I should. I really yeah. should at this point. And, <laughs> and Sentimental Press can print a special, <laughs> special edition. We'll turn them into haikus like Trump's book. Of I am poetry. curious if there's anybody that like read the comments and they were like, "I'm never doing this again." Like, I'm never. I, if I talked somebody out of putting meat and cheeses on a board, there's some. There's it. some dude that was his last. Yeah, he was just like, I'm done. He's I like, can't do it anymore. You know, he left a note. He tacked it to the Golden Gate Bridge and just left. <laughs> Jumped. <laughs> he said, you know, I was if I if I could have got this right, on Reddit. I, I would have turned this around, but it was the final straw. So, so you have a number of poems that are published in various places. Mm -hmm. I saw Expat Press. Expat, Misery Tourism, yeah. uh, Terror House, Surfaces. You also have Sentimental. some Sentimental, <laughs> kind of essay literature out there, no? Or kind of more like fiction? Oh, or some yeah. fiction no, writing, I've, no? I've, I've written some short stories. A lot of those haven't been published <coughs> yet. Uh, one of them will be coming out in a sentimental uh, compilation at some point. Um, but I have a couple, I think, on my... Well, I know, and I know I published uh, Middle Post through Terror House. They were kind of the yeah, first people. Yeah, I think that, I read that. Yeah, they were the first people that put out my. Uh, That's when God's fiction. walking around naked, right? Um, or is that some? Was that a different one? E no, Middle uh, Middle Post was the again kind of dystopian view of the Midwest um, after some unnamed incident, but it had to do with the, oh no, I do know what you're talking about. There's two middle posts. Oh, okay. That is part of one of them. The one Right, because it's got part one and part two. Right, the one I was thinking of specifically was uh, the guy at the bar with the street preacher. Okay, um, I didn't read that one. That is one of the ones I'm pretty proud of. I, um, 
never mind, I know exactly, I, I was wrong. What you're thinking of was a short story that I put out through Expat Press, uh, mm -hmm. what once was and will never happen again. And that was about God coming down in the flesh oh, again. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. And it's about two people yes. kind of reading the news reports about it and right. then cleaning up the kitchen and going to work. I think, yeah. I think one of the things I like about your writing, Kai, is that you, you're not afraid to just go head on to like the biggest moments. You're right. The biggest, the Proto Trinitas is, I mean, maybe you, you wrote a poem, uh, this, this multi part poem about maybe one of the most important if not the most important moment in human history. It was very yeah. much inspired yeah. by uh, Nico, Nikos Kazantzakis, uh, I could be pronouncing that wrong, I'm not Greek, um, his uh, yeah. Last Temptation of yes. Christ, yeah. and the uh, Scorsese film version of it, which is brilliant as well. Oh, I haven't seen that. But I, w I was very much intrigued by the <coughs> idea of all of this stuff occurring in somebody's brain while right. they're dying, right. essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, obviously Nikos does it well when talking about Christ, but then I've always been fascinated by the idea of the, um, the two thieves with him. And I've always wondered, you know, did they have that moment Have you read well? Silence? Oh, that's, yeah. again, the Same list of novels kind of that make, have made me cry. World of ideas, yes. Silence is 100% one yeah. of those. And that's, yeah. uh, I have the tattoo of the biblical line, um, what thou doest, do quickly. And mm. they talk a lot about that line in yeah. silence. And Chichiro that's, is the, the Jude, Judas character. Yes, and that that line, that novel, all of that has always been, I've I found it to be extremely emotionally moving. And the, the film is great as well, Yeah, of course. Scorsese again. Yeah, he just Yeah, I didn't know that stopped. he had done uh, The Last Temptation. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Paul Schrader <clears throat> wrote I have the to watch script. That. Who's the guy who did Taxi Driver? Oh, and, good uh, stuff. First Reformed. Wow. And yeah, he, he makes incredible movies. I'm going to go on a Scorsese binge. I think. It's, a, it's it. a good binge to go on. Yeah. Absolutely. And Last Temptation is uh, it's weird and it's trippy. Uh, it, it feels. I love the, the human. I haven't read it yet. I have it saved, actually. You absolutely should. It's, um, I saw actually, actually Delicious Tacos recommending The Last Temptation of Christ. He is a Kazanzakis fan. I think that might be be how it came to my attention mm, now mm. that I think about it because he's recommended it a couple times and I'm yeah. a huge uh, Delicious Tacos fan. I think he's, he's a, it's just nice that he's a writer that's doing things that um, are regime approved. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, basically anybody, any writer. <laughs> well, he's writer, telling the truth. Right. In, right, he, well, he writes ways. honestly yeah, and it's, 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 truth. it's funny that to well, write so, honestly now you have to do it under a pen. So that's right. really supposed to be, this is how we know our literary systems are flanked, completely flanked, is that's supposed to be what we do with it. Yeah, right. Literature. Absolutely. Not Absolutely. telling your truth, telling the truth. Right. Not getting at your idea of that. Trying to get to what it is. Yes. 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 Uh, yes, yes. And um, yeah, and, and that's unfortunately, I think the only way to do that now is to obviously exist underground. We are the we are now the underground man. Yeah, you know? unfortunately, yeah. and I uh, Dostoevsky's underground man. Just I sort often of screaming in the we're world. all anonymous. Well, I often <laughs> wonder if I should have a pen name if I shouldn't publish under my real name. But there is a part of me that like you know, it, it, the, it was a conviction beforehand. But now, upon having a daughter, when maybe that should mean I should be even more careful. Right. Now that I have a daughter, I want to be like, no, I want to give her an example of a man who is willing to sign his name on something. 
you know, like mm -hmm. even if it's unpopular, even if it's quote unquote bad in the eyes of the regime or whatever talentless hack is making decisions. But, right. You know, I want to show her that, no, you're you're supposed to do the right thing. You're supposed to say the uncomfortable truths. Right. And come what may, you know, right. and, you know, I, I have faith in God. I have faith in my family and I have yeah. faith in myself. And so I know that at the end of the day, there's really not much they can do to me. Well, the quote unquote institutions, I think, are on the verge of collapse. And yes, hopefully. There, there are these towers that are looking at massive squares that are ready to take up everything that is standing when it falls, mm -hmm. or everything that has to get up out of the rubble. And I think that's actually one of the things that American Sublime is, is it's waiting for that uh, destruction. Well, that's and, and also, it's providing an alternate institution no matter how small, right. uh, to give people like you, Mr. Warmoth, a platform, you know? That, I mean, that's why I was attracted to it originally when he yeah. first told me he had met you and like yeah. sent me the American Sublime stuff and that that was the reading I got on it. Yeah. And I, I want more things like that to proliferate yes. and to yeah. be there because you have to have that system there for when this rot finally falls through, there has to be something to, you know, come into the ashes and be like, no, beauty yes. can still exist, civilization can still exist. There's just to be people out there too, and if it's one person who hears this type of chat or this chat specifically, who says, oh man, I'm not nuts. No, I'm not, not at all. I'm not sitting You're in my not. room alone, like what's going on? What and I can understand why you would feel that way because For voices sure. like this are supposed to be kept separate. Well, that's the, 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 the whole plot of, of what's happening within our country is really to isolate you. Yeah. The last three years have been living proof of just cut you Actual off, Actual physical isolation. Physical isolation. Don't but, leave your home, stay but, six feet away, but cover even, your face. Yes, there's that, the physical isolation, but there's the, the isolating you from your potential. You know, you've mm -hmm. seen that, that the IQ scores drop in the kids. Right. Of course that's all, they're acting surprised. Right. Of course they did right. that on purpose. Absolutely. Well, because know? it's not their kids that are having well, these problems because they have the capital to fight that's, against that it's our kids that are going to take the brunt that's of the, that that's the i mean yeah but if you just think about how to best control society you just make people dumber and know? sick sick and dumb, dumb and sick so they get you on their pills and they make you long-term stupid you yeah know? uh and they've got you by the balls yeah yeah and by the emotions too which is important that, that they have that emotional hook in people mm -hmm. you know they can get you mad. Well, they were. It was metaphorical balls. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. The, the but balls they might of grab your emotions. You by the They've been kicking us in the emotional. <laughs> the testicles of I my emotion are the that, ones yeah, that are yeah. getting grabbed. Those balls aren't real. I mean, they might be. They're but, asking me to cough twice, uh, and I'm getting enraged. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, uh, well, I want to point out one more line from "Please, We Need sure. It." We'll I really it. like. Uh, God witnessed the men who wander drunk highways. Mm -hmm. Very Kerouac, also very Hunter S. Thompson. And you mentioned, I think, some am ammunition in the following two lines. Yeah, six, uh, three, seven, uh, six, seven, seven, six, six two. three, and a nine. Which seven, is six, super two is Hunter AK S. Thompson. AK forty-seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, like I said, it and was, uh, it was definitely poetry to me. At least in a lot of the poems I write, I it's the same way I think I can't paint but the way I would imagine approaching a painting in the sense that I'm trying to make a snapshot just a snapshot of a thing you know Proto Trinitas is a different example because of how long it is but this specifically was me trying to take a snapshot of what I imagined a 
the Midwest would look like in a collapsed society. And part of that had to do with, you know, kind of lone wolf men traveling around, not yeah. necessarily to do ill or to do good, just kind of these lost people who are trying yeah. to figure out like what's what's the direction I'm supposed to be going. Actually into. a regaining the world of the road. The world of the road, but absolutely. Like the there's actually a, a that's going to reignite purpose in mm -hmm. the lost American man. Absolutely. Who is yeah. uh jobless and hooked on pills a lot of those guys aren't going to make it you know right, and right. they're not making it but, but some will but some will some will reawaken they'll reawaken they, they, it goes to the spiritual things that you discuss a lot Manasseh it's like there's going to yes there's going to be a cultural and spiritual reawakening in this country when it comes to good literature and beautiful things and beautiful music and art and but in order for that to happen there's going to be an awakening of the the person. I also like using the symbolism First. of firearms and yeah. ammunition and things like that because it, it, it's a very Midwestern thing, but it's also a very American thing. Like, Absolutely. love it or hate it, like civilian gun ownership is a huge part of what makes America different right. from almost every other country in the world. Right. And it's awesome. It's great. That's like one of the... It's why they haven't gone full tyranny on us. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. And like, <laughs> Okay, boomer. <laughs> well, even even as a you know teenager when I considered myself a leftist or you yeah. know, a, a far-left liberal, whatever, I have always been extremely pro-gun because I grew up in a pro-gun household. Like, yeah. Learning to shoot was not this scary strange thing it was the same as learning how to operate the lawnmower right yeah. or you know it's a tool this it's is a classic that, american culture right and so you know using the uh, imagery of guns in my poetry has always been something I, that i've been attracted to and like i because so much of the poetry world um i don't want to make assumptions for everybody but tend to not be probably very pro firearms or pro right to self-defense right um it's you know there's the I like the the contra contradicting those people by using that in yeah you poetry. have to and it's it's uh, you know because I I believe dangerous <laughs> things like women should be able to defend themselves from rapists which is you know you're right, not allowed to believe sure. anymore right no that's true I do like how you it's have, an equalizer yeah absolutely and it's great for that reason right you've got the the AK ammo and the the AR ammo yeah well this is part of this <laughs> is part of your Russophilia you've been learning Russian right I have been I've on a, like a 550 day streak on Duolingo <laughs> damn I just, I just started Mango this morning based Heck off of yeah. your recognition nice. or recommendation so yeah I've, I'm trying to learn Russian it's uh it's, it's a difficult language, but it's also very, it's phonetic. You know, yeah. every letter makes, almost always makes the sound it's going to make. Mm. And I, at one point I tried to learn French, but to, I, when I was just reading it, totally fine. But then it went to the speaking part and I was like, oh, you don't pronounce 80% of the letters in this word. He read right. Foucault in French. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a difference between being <laughs> multi-literate and multilingual, right? right? The goal someday would be able, my main goal is to be able to read the Gospels in Russian. Oh, I'd like to do them in Greek. And that would be great as well. Tolstoy yeah. too, right? I would think you want to read sort of the original. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably start with uh, Haji Marat by Tolstoy, which uh, for anybody listening, um, 
Haji Murad is a less well-known work by Tolstoy. It's a novella. You could read it in a day. It is incredible. It's the best novella I've ever read. Um, and I'm not just saying that because it's Tolstoy. It's I just read it. Everybody I've had read it has agreed with He me. was a master of the novella. I he really he's was. Under, yeah. It's understated. I mean, which is insane because he can be a master of that and then he can do something like War and Peace, right. which is like biblical length and right. is still just... I, that man, I, I don't get it. He was he, he was touched he, by God. Clearly. He kind of said... Yeah, that mid-length novel. Fuck that. Yeah, like Anna Karenina, I guess, is the close. Or Resurrection, I guess, would also kind of be a mid-length novel. But even then, like, it's still. Have you been to Jerusalem? No, I've never left the country. I don't okay. have a passport. Okay. Nice. I'd love to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Moscow. Um, those are like Budapest. near the top. Yeah, because you, you were writing about yeah. Jerusalem a little bit in one of these poems, I think. Yeah, because I, yeah. you know, I find it fascinating. Obviously, yeah, 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 as yeah. like one of the capitals of the world in the sense especially from a, a spiritual yeah. sense so much happened there yeah so much continues to happen there yeah. you know they're big stones there right right yeah. right, right. <laughs> which reminds me i think of a, a tolstoy like that a person in this collection of small collection of centuries could make such a massive literary statement a literary stone that's I know. huge and more than one, too. That, like, that's right. a crazy thing about Tolstoy is he has Anna Karenina as well, you know, which is, I mean, top ten for me. Um, I, I'm, I, I hope to reach that level of um, output, yeah. you know, that level of art. Um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But Are you trying for a novel? Oh, absolutely. Or I have something that's been in my head bouncing around for probably three or four years now. Started it yet? I've planned it. You know, and I've written little chunks of it. Okay. I'm talking about extremely small, disjointed chunks where it's just like, I have, basically I have four characters in my head that all know each other, and I just kind of let them run free, and I think about them and what they're doing and how they're interacting with each other, and a we, story starts to develop itself. We need the great itself. Midwestern novel. We do, yeah. Hey, if you want to do it, do it. Um, that's, that's the plan. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you to stare back towards your writing as we, as we wind down here. I, are you working? You're working on some short stories. Yes. Yeah. 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 And you have a collection that you're going to try and. What are you going to try and finish that? What is? What is that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's finished when it's finished, but ideally the end of 2023. Okay. Would be so another when I'd like to be year. holding it in my hand. Um, and there's the 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 story that's kind of starting it all off uh, is also going out in that sentimental press collection. Um, okay. The one I sent you. Yes, uh, that's Horizon in there. Bastard. I have that in there. Yeah, and that's it's called uh, Horizon Bastard. Horizon Bastard. Yeah, Love and it. it's it, well, it's it's again to play. <laughs> maybe it's a tired trope for me, but this idea of like a slightly dystopian Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, it's it, it's about a family that shoots down a government drone that's flying over their property, mm. and then the fallout of doing that. Mm. And uh, that because that's it, drone warfare was always something that really interested me. Uh, horrified me too at the yeah. same time especially because I remember watching um, it was like an interview with a Yemeni woman and she was talking about how um, uh, cloudless days where the sky is clear were the scariest because that's when you knew the drones could see you and I was oh. like how 
horrifying is yeah. this that we've made people dread a beautiful cloud-free day oh, that's, wow. because what death a, from above could come for them you know and so i started thinking like eventually that stuff's going to be used yeah on the american population it's, it's already the language they use to, to threaten us they absolutely say, we have we have this and that we have drones to beach and tanks right which, we'll is, which is incredible to me that they it, it choose to approach like the gun issue by instead of saying you know like hey we're your government we're the friends we're trying to work, we work with you for you, you. Don't, we, we work don't, for yeah, you you don't need those guns instead they're just like oh we would crush you we would use a tomahawk <laughs> missile to kill your that entire family it's war. like that just makes me want 10 more guns like right. i don't that's that's not convincing me no. at all um that's why people buy so many right right like, but with well, the with the short story collection yes. i uh you know horizon bastard is kind of the centerpiece of it but um i'm doing a couple more after are that you going to i've read horizon bastard i have it right. ready to go in the book right uh in the it's basically sentimental's first magazine that's going to come out a uh, collection of a bunch of contributors mm -hmm. to that are you going to I know we talked about some some of the overlap I'm, I've gently subtly inserted in my own book right uh, that I'm absolutely on. I told you about absolutely that. yeah the I was curious if any of the other stories are gonna be uh, story backdrop stories that are connected to horizon bastards so like the bro the there's a brother and sister right and in that yeah and, and yeah. um and then the the father mm -hmm. are sort of the main three yes characters yeah, yeah. i remember are there going to be other stories that sort of hover around, orbit that with those characters doing other things with those characters no no but i do have this inclination to make a lot of my stories occupy the same world even if it's never yeah. outright said or even because like you know one of the the the, the what would be the next story in it? Uh, it's one called Jasmine's Lullaby that I'm almost finished with. Is uh, simply about a prostitute in a hotel room having a conversation with God in the flesh mm. or somebody that claims to be God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And there's really. He loves to bring God down. I do. I do. I really do. I love playing You're with religion. On that second coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that'll just down. take all the wind out of my sails at that point. I'm like, Damn it, he did it. Um, <laughs> right? No, it's so in my head, I imagine that existing in the same world that Horizon Bastard takes place in. But as of yet, there is no overt reference to that. And there probably never will be. It'll be something like, um, you know, like when you when they talk about uh, films existing in the same universe and like their evidence for it and some YouTube video might be like, well, if you notice, they're smoking a made-up brand of cigarettes. Right. And in this movie, they're also right. smoking I a made-up brand. I love that. Yeah. I love that, too. I've always loved... Like, Lucky the, the, Strike. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So I it's, saw uh, this last night. It's, it, it'll probably end up being something like okay. that to I, where it's like, if you're really reading it, you'll be like, oh, shit. I was just thinking... He referenced this, which also was referenced by gotcha. this, and it doesn't right, exist right. in our world, so it right. clearly, you know... I don't know why I like that. I think it's because I grew up on comic books, which mm. so much of that takes place right. in a shared universe. And, you know, it, the Flash could pop over to Batman's story or something like that. And that just, like, excited my imagination as a kid that there was this entire I love world that. of I, possibility. I, I, wouldn't you say when you read Hemingway, Wolf, Dos Passos, you're really reading people who are running into each other? Yeah, it feels world. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're writing, you say the same universe. Well, right. they're writing about our universe, our right, world. Right, right. In the same time. Right, post-war Europe. It, without sort of hitting at it or, right. or having plots intersect, but you just know that they're in the same streets. Yeah, you know who that character is. 
that has the different name. Right. Right. Yeah. That yeah. that too. So there's a yeah. Well, I like the, the alternate histories too, and the well, like Ada by Nabokov, it very clearly We're takes place in an alternate. <laughs> What's that book about? We already had one of those earlier. <laughs> don't say it. Philip Roth, right? I've right. never read him. I haven't read him either, but from what I know, what is it? Oh, uh, the uh, the plot. Uh, yeah, the just, America one. Yeah, um, destroy America, which is basically an alternate history, isn't it? Isn't it like an, a Lindbergh becomes president or something, and he keeps us out of World War II? I don't know what exactly happened, but I I thought that the Nazis won or something. Or maybe this is just a this is a that's a, a man Netflix in the high show. castle. Ah, yes, that which that's not Roth. No, that's or um, based on Roth. No, that's, uh, or maybe it is Rob. No, Philip K. Dick. Oh. oh. Pretty sure the man in the high castle is him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the, the movie with Tom Cruise that was based on one of his novels? Philip K. Dick? Yeah. Uh, well, isn't Blade Runner based on, I know True, Tom Cruise yeah. is not in Blade right, Runner, right. but that's Blade Runner's Android's dream. Um, um, I've never read a... <laughs> Philip K. novel. I haven't either. I saw that book to, uh, either today or yesterday, though. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a minority report. I had no idea that was Philip K. Dick. It's a short uh, story okay. by Philip K. Dick. Hilarious name for a uh, movie. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Dick. <laughs> All right. Well, Kai Warmuth, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we got to have you back again yeah, soon. Absolutely. I'd like to get you guys coming out to my neck of the woods sometime yeah, too. We to will do, do an episode out there, and that would be fantastic. Just gunshots going off in the background. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll be shooting the entire time. It'll just we uh. But, we will, before before we just sign off, um, Kai, where can we find your work? Again, just remind us. Oh, good question. Um, um, Expat Press. Okay. Yeah, Expat Press has some stuff. Uh, Sentimental Press, obviously. I don't even. Do you have a website? You have a website. I yeah. Swear. So people ordered that there, book somewhere. This is this is getting revamped. Uh, yeah. Plug, yes. plug Sentimental's uh, URL. Se uh, well, if you just search Sentimental Press on Instagram, you'll find sort of a stripped down. Uh, page because we're we're going to launch a new website and a new store and everything um, in 2023, getting ready with the new year to just take it in the new direction. There'll be a repress of Kai's book if you tolerate this. Then your children will be next, among others. Nice. And, and then uh, I yeah I have a is it WordPress? It's been so long since I've yeah, logged on to this. Yeah. I, honestly, this or the flood. WordPress. Oh no, sorry. Um, it's this or the flood. This or the flood. Yeah, either so this or the flood. This or the flood. Dot WordPress. Dot com. You can read. Um, you can read many of your poems. The, there. Yeah, a lot of them that are in the book are on there, and then uh, I've got stuff like I said on uh, Terror House, Expat Surfaces, uh, Misery Tourism. Um, New Poplet. Basically, if you just plug Google his name and, and yeah, just Google Kai Edward Warmuth, you can and, find uh, you can yeah. find this collection. Everything except for my um, awesome Reddit roasts, which uh, <laughs> the I do. Real literary I do experience. under a pen name because the charcuterie community is uh, very militant, and you know I don't want to. I don't end up on the. <laughs> well, they play with knives. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be getting death threats from no, the charcuterie no, not, community. I, I love horseradish cheddar as much as the next guy, but it's yeah. not worth charcuterie arditi. <laughs> Charcuterie Arditi. <laughs> All right, until the next one. It was, it was great having you. Thanks.